This is recording number 10914 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 27, 2011. This is the sixth message in the series titled, The Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Your Empty Boat. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to continue our study today of what we're calling the doctor's gospel. And uh, we're calling it that because Luke was a physician, and uh, Luke's approach to the telling of, or the recounting of the life and ministry of Jesus comes from that perspective of being methodical and and careful and, and intellectual in the approach. And, and uh, so it, it stands um, uniquely for, that, for those reasons. But also, I don't know, and it may, it may just be me, uh, but I, um, when I think about Luke writing this gospel, I think about the, the main symbol of doctors and physicians, which is the stethoscope, listening to the heart of people, because that is the the most important organ in our body. And I just imagine Luke taking us on a journey of hearing the heart of Jesus. And uh, that, to me, uh, characterizes so much of what we read in this gospel. And we're at chapter 5 this week. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me. Beginning at verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. And let me just uh, set the stage before we go any further. Last week we talked about Jesus in his hometown in Nazareth, stood up in a synagogue on the Sabbath day and proclaimed the five-part, his five-part mission out of the book of Isaiah, quoting from the, the Old Testament scriptures. And then he said... This day, this one right here, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, proclaiming himself to be Messiah. And no one there uh, was confused about that. It was clear that Jesus was saying, I am the one who has come to fulfill God's promises to you. And uh, so then the people got pretty upset about that. First they were awed by it, and then they thought it through, and they thought, well, this guy is just a carpenter's son. What does he mean standing up here saying he's the Messiah? And they actually tried to kill him, tried to shove him off a cliff, and he uh, he escaped from them and traveled from Nazareth, which is kind of in the... uh, the southwestern part of the Galilee region up to Capernaum, which is kind of on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, a a fishing town. And there it says that he preached in the synagogues there and continued his ministry of teaching people uh, about uh, the Lord and proclaiming the gospel. And uh, then uh, he... uh, we come to this part. Well, there's a lot that happens. And you know what? I just, I hate the fact that uh, I can't spend, uh, we can't just dig into every single verse of this gospel. If we did, we'd be here for five years. But man, we just can't. Uh, so we're passing over a lot of really precious territory. But 
He, he ministers to the sick and to the bound and delivering them and healing them. But that brings us to where we are uh, in chapter 5. And so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. And by this time there are, as you can imagine, as he's been healing, as he's been teaching, as he's been delivering the bound, a crowd of people follows him everywhere he goes. And he's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen weren't there. It says they, they had gone from them and were washing their nets. We're going to find out in a little bit why those boats were empty why the fishermen weren't there, and why they were washing their nets, but let's just carry on. And he, excuse me, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and that's Simon Peter, most of you are familiar with Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he did this so that he could have a little separation between him and the crowds that were constantly pressing him so that he could teach them in some form of of coherence and also to take advantage of the natural amplification because he didn't have a PA system, right? So he took uh, advantage of the natural amplification that takes place when the sound waves bounce off water. Sue and I, uh, we have a family cabin down in Southern California on a lake and and uh, it's amazing to me how we can be sitting up on our porch and hearing people out in the it's a big lake, out in the middle of the lake having private conversations. You can hear them <laughs> <clears throat> because uh, the, there's just this natural amplification effect. And Jesus, uh, who is the creator of all things, understood that and he took advantage of that there. So that's why he did it. Although there's more to it and we're going to find out a little bit more about why he did it. That's one of the reasons. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. Apparently um, in that uh, region and on that lake. Now, I'm not exactly a fisherman. My father is, and uh, he knows all this stuff. You know, he knows when is the right time to fish any given lake, and he knows where the fish are and what kind of lures to use or what sort of bait, you know. Me, (laughs) no, no chance. I just go out there and get skunked every single time. Some of you uh, are wise enough to be to know how to do this fishing thing, but though I admire you because you're like these guys, Simon. Now Simon was not a uh, and Simon Peter uh, and uh, his uh, partners in the fishing business that they owned. Um, they were professionals. They weren't. Uh, recreational fishermen. They were professionals. So even more so, they knew how this lake worked, where the fish were, what time to catch them, and how to do it, because their livelihood depended upon it. And he says to them, Master, we've toiled all night. Apparently nighttime was the time to fish this lake. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Now I looked up that word nothing in the original language just to make sure, you know, it it meant what it said. Because I I was hoping for, you know, not much maybe. You know, they toiled all night and caught not much. No, it it actually means nothing, no, not one. (laughs) They fished all night and they caught zip, zero, bupkis. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, at your word, Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. 
So they signaled to their partners. Their partners were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. These are the guys that Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder. And I can't uh, imagine them without picturing them with their leathers on. And on the back it says, you know, sons of thunder, right? So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Jesus was with them. He's in the boat, right? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all. These guys are, are looking at, a t- <laughs> they're looking at a sizable catch. This is mega money. And it says they forsook it all and followed him. Why? Because it's never about the fish. It's never about the fish. I want to go back through that passage with you a little bit today and just kind of talk about your empty boat. Your empty boat. My empty boat. Those empty boats that Jesus came across on the shores of the Sea of Galilee probably parked a little bit away from the rest of the boats because they represented failure. They've been out, all, these are professionals. They're, they're rep, not only is their reputation on their line, the livelihood, their livelihood is on the line. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't want to make more of it than it should be, but I mean, if you've ever been in business for yourself, which I have been at other times in my life, you can't afford a whole day of no productivity. Zero to show for it. Very, you can't absorb that loss very, very easily. And, and Simon and his partners are skunked. And so there's disappointment. There's, there's probably a sense of self-doubt. I mean, I'm supposed to know how to do this. What the heck happened? Maybe I ought to find some other kind of trade. There's pain. And as I've already said, sometimes when you're in that kind of situation, that word failure seems to kind of bu- want to bubble up, doesn't it? You're a, you're a f- 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 failure. Have you ever experienced that? Don't raise your hand. No, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> but do do this for me. How many of you are over 30 years of age? Would you raise your hand? Okay, those of you who just have your hands up now. How many of you, your life, at whatever age you are now, is exactly the way you thought it was going to be when you were 20? <laughs> okay. Do me a favor. Lean over, back, sideways or something. Find somebody that you're not related to and tell them what you imagined your life to be like now. Go ahead and do that.
All right. <clears throat> I'm still preaching here. <clears throat> when I was 20 years old, I thought by the time I was 30, I would be pastoring one of these mega churches that my face would be on the cover of every book. <laughs> you go in the bookstore and there would be me instead of, instead of Joel Olstein. And, um, oh, I'm going to have to edit that out of the recording. Um, you know, <laughs> and our, the first church that Sue and I pastored did get off to a great start and flourished and, and grew. And I would just thought, oh, well, that's to be expected, you know. And, um, but then uh, it plateaued and, and you start to pretend that everything's still going, but you know inside that it's not. So you start working harder and you start, you know, all the things that you do when things are not turning out the way that you envisioned And all that stuff that you and I have felt when we've been in those times, Simon, and, Simon Peter was feeling. But what does Jesus do? He steps right in the middle of it, uninvited. He steps right into the pain. Steps right into the boat. Uh, could you move this boat out a little bit from the shore for me, please? <laughs> Now, have you ever had the Lord do that to you? Step right into that sore spot, that, that point of failure you're trying to either sort out or forget or something. He'll step right in there. Why? Because he wants to bring healing. He wants to do what he did for Peter. He wants to transform your pain into a pulpit. Think about it. This, this thing, this boat that represented so much pain to Peter right then, Jesus stepped into it and began to use it as a platform for ministry. One of the things that I've learned over the years since, since uh, the crash of that uh, kind of really weird dream I was telling you about earlier is that the things that I get to minister to people that really has the most impact on their lives are the things that have come out of God healing my pain and my brokenness and my mess. And so that's why Jesus steps. He's not trying to make things worse. He's trying to make things a whole lot better. And I remember the Lord speaking to me in that time. And, uh, you know, when the Lord speaks to you, it's not usually, although I have had have had some times when it was... There were specific words I heard the Lord say, but most of the time it's an impression. It just kind of lands on your soul, and you know what's being communicated, and then you use words to describe it to yourself or to other people. But I know the Lord said to me in those days, I didn't call you to be a celebrity with the title pastor. I called you to actually be a pastor. Instead of being so concerned about making a name for yourself, I want you to focus on the people I've assigned to your care and know their names. By the way, that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I continually come back to asking you not to address me with the title pastor. I'm not going to make a federal case out of it, but now you know where that comes from something between me and the Lord that I knew I had to get straightened out. 
But Jesus stepped into that place of pain just like he did with me in my pain and the brokenness of my dream, the thing that came crashing down around me. And I believe the Lord, if he hasn't already, has scheduled an appointment with you too. And when he does, there's some things we can learn from this passage about how the Lord can transform our pain into a, into a pulpit, a platform for his ministry, and about how he can redirect your dream. Because, listen, and we've talked about this before. Sometimes I feel like I'm just repeating myself um, because there are things that the Lord has really etched so deeply in my soul and they just seem to come out in almost any passage that I, I read. And, and this is one of those things. The word destiny is a big word for me. It's a Bible word to me. So I come back to that often, that refrain, destiny. And I don't mean it with some sort of glazed over New Age kind of um, eyes rolled back in my head sort of a way. I mean the God way. He has a plan for your life. He does. He really does. A destiny for you. Here's the thing, though. Most of those dreams that you, you evidenced a few minutes ago when you did not raise your hand to say that after, you know, that things didn't quite turn out the way that you dreamed them in your life, the, the, at the root, at the core, down there deep in some place where that dream emanates from, there's something from God there. An image that God planted there. Here's what happens is that we take that sketch, because it's not filled out yet. You know, it's, it's kind of fuzzy, isn't it? And we take our little box of crayons and we fill it in. We're really happy to do that and very good at trying to fill it in. And then we say, dear God, make this happen. And often it doesn't. Why? Because that's a misinterpretation of the vision that God has given you. And so the Lord in those times when we have to face or stare down the collapse of a vision or dream, God is, he has to, he gets no pleasure out of it, but he has to allow that to come to an end so that he can begin to help us to reimagine it in the way that he intended. Because in the end, like with Simon Peter, he said, you thought you were a fisherman. I meant for you to be a fisher of men. We always think it's about the fish. And Lord, Lord if you just kind of, you know, this hasn't worked out so good. If you could just kind of fix this up somehow, patch it, change it, whatever, in, you know, subtle ways so that it sort of resembles this, please do that. We would like to have what Peter had on that night. We'd like to have success in what we dreamed. But it's never really about the fish. It's about God's plans and purposes in our lives being fulfilled. That's why Peter and his friends left the fish, followed Jesus. But while they're in the boat and experiencing this miraculous catch of fish, um, there were th three commands that the Lord gave to Peter that were being fulfilled in all of that that precipitated the, the dramatic transformation of Peter's life and the orientation of his life and those three commands 
uh, begin with two words, launch out. Launch out. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. (laughs) It's no longer night, not the time when you go fishing. For him to launch out is, is a total admission of you don't know what you're doing. You're, you are just, you're digging this hole deeper for yourself. At the, you know, he wants to, he wants to hide at this point. But Jesus is saying, launch out, re-engage, face your hurt, re-engage, reach beyond your hurt and re-engage with your dream. This is one of the toughest things for us to do when we have experienced a, you know, something that we might call disappointment or failure is to be willing to launch out there again. The second thing that Jesus commanded of Peter was to launch out into the deep into the deep. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Peter, I mean, obviously this guy that has, you know, hijacked my boat has a sizable following and he must be somebody, you know, that, of importance and he's asked me to do this thing, but, you know, <clears throat> I'm the professional fisherman here. Maybe what I'll do is I'll just sort of uh, mollify him. I'll I'll try to you know put on a nice face, and we'll just stick to the shallows where nobody's really paying attention and seeing or seeing us. And then when he finds out that there's really no fish in this sea, then we'll be we'll be done, and I can go back to washing my nets, right? But no, Jesus says into the deep. Why? Because out there. Out there, God shows you the deeper meaning of the dream he planted in your heart. Finally, the last of the commands that Jesus gave to Peter on that day was, he said, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Really, until this point, until he actually flings those nets out there, lowers them down, There's really not much risk, is there? There's no risk of being re-hurt, re-disappointed. There's no, really no risk of confronting failure, really, until he throws those nets back out there. Just like you and me, as we begin to let the Lord rearrange Reimagine, refocus, reshape the way we think about our lives, what his plans were for me, are for you. Until we actually step out and throw the nets in the sea, in the lake, we're not risking anything. But dear ones, without risk, There is no faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God.
as we, I'm done, and as we close up now, I want to ask you to consider something. What might it be about your life that Jesus uh, is stepping into today? Of pain, disappointment, self-doubt, failure, embarrassment, And once you can answer that question, I'd like you to consider what he might be meaning when he says to you through his word, because God's word always speaks to us. This was not those red letters in my red letter Bible that indicate Jesus was speaking. That was not just for Simon Peter. That was for me and for you. What might be he asked? What might he be asking of you when he says launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch what about your life might change if you obeyed him